Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Matthew, um, you know, the year is marching on and um, it's uh, surprising. We're already almost to the Super Bowl. Oh my goodness, what, three weeks away at yeah. this point? I mean, we're in the playoffs and uh, pretty cool to see the, the teams winding down. We got a couple of playoff games this weekend and um, should be should be good matchup. So we've had some interesting football here going on in the last few weeks. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And only uh, only going to get better. Hopefully the Super Bowl is always a fun fun game, not only for the football, but also for the, obviously the commercials make the headlines a lot. So even if you don't like football, it can be a fun time just to sit around and enjoy friends and family and, and watch the commercials. Yeah, it's well. a definitely a fun time of the year. And um, boy, it's been cold, cold week, hasn't it? Goodness gracious, in the teens. Yeah. So, I think it was in the 20s this morning. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be in the teens tomorrow and, Saturday, and possibly even Saturday's Friday. It's going to be brutal. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's so, cold, cold, but cold. But it's January. It's yep. January. Yep. We get like a month, a week of this every. <laughs> Every, every year. month or two yeah. in the in the middle of winter. So uh, yeah, that's right. So there you are. You know, hopefully you were able to tune in to our podcast, our, our webcast this week, past week, um, with Dimensional Fund Advisors about elections. Um, I think it was very insightful. Uh, hopefully answered the question about you know how do elections affect the markets. Of course, the short answer is they really don't. The markets are are you know kind of their own entity. I mean, they're affected by. You know, earnings, they're affected by companies and the economy. And um, the elections really don't play into that mix if you look at history. And that mm -hmm. was kind of the moral of the, the story. But uh, but a very good podcast. And hopefully everybody, if you didn't get to listen in, you can listen to the replay. We've emailed that out <clears throat> to everybody. And uh, hope you hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There you go. We we have a great show lined up for today. Um you know, we're going to start off here talking about the five lies that investors tell themselves when it comes to investing. Um, and, you know, this is based out of an article very recently, and um, it, it's just insightful. I mean, it's human nature. We all tend to, to to kind of tell ourselves some things that are not true when it comes to investing. And if you don't have a disciplined process to tune out those those feelings that you have, it can get you into trouble. So that'll be an interesting topic. You'll want to stay tuned for that. Yeah, that's interesting. You said the word feelings too. You know, uh, emotions can dictate a lot of these things we'll be talking about, I'm sure. And and so, yeah, that's uh, I'm, I'm interested in that as well. It'll be good. Uh, then the second um, topic we'll be thinking through, and this is from Schwab. Um, it is The title is Four Paths to a Roth IRA for High Income Earners. So if you uh, earn a higher income, Typically, a Roth IRA, uh, just a strict contribution, you may be restricted from that, but there's four ways to contribute to a Roth nonetheless, and so we'll be talking about that in just a little bit. Yeah, that's right. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 28 years experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm Matthew Travis. I'm also a certified financial planner and have been here at the firm for coming up on six years now. And we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly podcast or our podcast are up every Friday morning. Um, you can listen to us anywhere in the world and you can, uh, of course, find us on iTunes um, or you can link to us right off of our website, moneymd.net. And we'd love to hear from you. So email us your questions, link to us there on our website. 
check it out. Um, send us your questions, and we'll we'll talk about those right here on the show. Um, well, Matthews, uh, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Awesome. I'm sorry. Um, well, my financial fact of the week. <laughs> here we go. <clears throat> All right. So it's 59% of Americans surveyed said that that money can buy happiness, and mm. the price tag would be about $1.2 million mm. for 59% of Americans. Um, you know, while the average Gen 2 American, Gen Z American, excuse me, says that it would take about about a half million dollars to make them happy, the average millennial would need more than three times that, about $1.7 million wow. to make them happy. Well, you know, and that that's perception. This is based on a survey, right? right and right. so everybody thinks money will solve a lot of their problems, and it, yeah. and it certainly can make life easier. Right. Um, but, you know, we, we counsel people every day um, that are some that are wealthy and some that are just average. And, um, you know, we see, Matthew, that money does not buy happiness. Certainly, um, like I said, it makes life easier. It, it takes some problems, you know, and it solves some problems, if you will. But then it creates some new ones that you have to worry about. So it um, does. It does. And, and just from practical experience that we've seen with clients, we have clients that, you, like you said, have an average amount of wealth and, and um, some are very content. And then we have other clients who have a larger amount of wealth. And they said, man, if I just had a little bit more, then I would be content. And so that's, you know, that is a, that is a danger that we see, you know, of just always wanting a little bit more is, is it is hard to find contentment if you're not content with what you already have now. And so, yeah, it, it, they, you know, this survey does say, hey, we, you know, there is a certain number that you can hit. And maybe that's the case with you. But also it is just, I mean, how can we live below our means now? How can we uh, be content with what we have now? And then if you do increase in wealth, being content with that as well. So, you know, interesting survey, um, but yeah, don't, don't read too much into that as well. Yeah, it's really based on feelings. And the key is you want to be moving forward. You want to be saving money. You want to be getting out of debt. You want to be moving ahead so that you are preparing for retirement and for the future to a point to where you don't have to worry about right. money so much and you are more independent financially so you can retire. I mean, that's that's the key. And I think that's the feeling that really will relieve some anxiety from finances. Of course, there is much more to being happy than finances. We won't go into that today, but right, uh, right. that's that's certainly a component. So good fact of the week. And that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is five lies investors tell themselves um, about investing. And so, Matthew, you know, whether it's the stock market, you know, soaring or, or going down, I mean, people find ways to kind of fool themselves when it comes to their experience with investing. Um, and this goes for, you know, small investors, um, which describes most of us, as well as professional investors. Uh, I mean, we're all human. And, you know, what we tend to do as investors is exaggerate our skills, maybe embellish our performance maybe blame invisible forces for our misfortunes when it comes to our investments. I mean, after all, we naturally don't want to chalk up our successes to dumb luck or take full responsibility for our failures. That, that's only natural. But, you know, what we have to learn is to be honest with ourselves and to be realistic if we want to be successful long-term with investing. Um, so knowing what you, what you don't know is just as important when it comes to investing as knowing what you do know. Mm. Yeah. And this tendency to ignore the truth and overestimate our skill has been around since the beginning of human existence. Now that we are in a new year, 
and last year turned out pretty good from a market standpoint. It is it can be easy to maybe look back at your holdings last year and pick out a few winners um, and be happy about those. Or maybe you've already forgotten what happened to your stock picks in 2022 and um, you know you want to change that up. We all want to feel good about our investment results and to make ourselves look good to friends and family uh, and to ourselves. And that's tough to do if we're if we're totally honest. The, so our nature is to try and shade the truth and cook up um, justifications for what didn't work and and to like you said, you know, maybe not take full responsibility for our failures. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, human nature does kind of lead you to to kind of shade the truth when it comes to your experience with investing. Yep. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I watched a movie uh, this past week on a plane. I was going, you know, coming back from a trip and it was, uh, it's called Dumb Money. Uh, it came out last year and it was about the, the big meme stock from 2021, GameStop. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I mean, so when I was traveling on the plane, I, you know, watched that. It was interesting hearing Hollywood's perspective on how, you know, that unfolded. And it started with this one guy um, who went by Roaring Kitty you know, who was posting on Reddit about how he liked this company, GameStop, and, you know, how he had taken a big position in it. And, but, you know, what it reminded me of was how people thought it would continue even after it had played out. You know, I remember some people who did really well with that stock, a couple people, and, you know, then they thought they kind of had the secret sauce for picking stocks, right? I mean, it kind of went to their head. They kind of, you know, you know, brought back the days from the tech boom of the late 90s that I recalled when, you know, people, you know, eventually lost it all in the early 2000s oh. and they were doing day trading back then and hmm. thought that they were really good at picking stocks, you know, and then, you know, then reality came crashing down <laughs> when so the markets much, yeah. turn. Exactly. So it's important to recognize when you simply got lucky, you know. So anyway, so we're going to we're going to look at seven or actually five um five things here that um that that people tend to tell themselves that is not true when it comes to their investing habits. Hmm. All right, so the first one is I knew that stock was going to bounce back or it was going to 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 do such and such. Hmm. Um you know, it's natural to have that premonition that you you felt like you had a sense of what the stock was going to do after the fact. Um, you might know the old saying that even a broken clock is right twice a day, mm-hmm. right? I mean, many of us um, are not that different from the broken clock. You know, we ignore kind of the incorrect or the foolish forecasts in the past, and we remember only the ones that were correct. And perhaps we even rewrite history a little bit, you know, so that we recall buying stocks when they actually were selling, or we have selective memory about our timing mm-hmm. of an investment. Um, and all of this can make me make us think that we're a little smarter about investing than we really are. Yeah. And for a reality check, I mean, the numbers do not lie on the statements is to go back and look at, at your financial statements. In particular, if you focus on trades you made, if you do, um, <clears throat> if you are actively trading on a regular basis, look at the trades you made back in March of 2020 or September of 2022 uh, when the share prices were plummeting. This is probably a buying opportunity, um, one of the biggest of the past decade. Even if you did call one of those right, you probably uh, were not buying in March of 2009, right? That was not a fun time after two, I guess a year and a half of not a steady decrease, but nonetheless a decrease. 
again, that that was an opportunity of of from many decades, and almost um, everyone predicted it to go even lower than it did. But I think it was March ninth of 2009 that it that it popped right. back up or and maybe it, that was a low was bottom, and, then, bottom, and then the next yeah. day you pop back up you know and up from there so it, it never feels like you know it's 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 going to change necessarily but to look back on your statements is an objective view to see how you have done yeah if you look back at those scary times you know i mean it it does kind of paint a picture of reality cuz there aren't many people that really bought in those really low periods you always your human nature is to think that it's going to go lower, you know? And so, you know, it's easy to sound tough afterwards and say, oh yeah, I bought, or I would have bought during that time, you know, had had the opportunity. But when the reality sets in history, we see this time and again in our business, people are not adding money at those periods typically. Mm. And so that's why you can't let emotions get involved and try to start timing the market um, because you'll typically do it at the wrong time. And that leads us to the next one. And that is, you know, the feeling that I will buy when market prices go back down. Um, you know, many investors are sitting on too much cash, kind of kicking themselves for not owning stocks for the last few months. We've had a great few months here in the market, mm-hmm. you know, but it's time to face the truth. I mean, share prices will likely never return to the depressed levels they were, say, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and maybe not even where they were a year ago. Um you know, we don't know, but I mean, if you're fearful of getting back in the market now, then, you know, dollar cost averaging back in might be the way to do it. Um, you know, spread your money out over six months, even a year, put in a sixth or a twelfth of your of the, your money back into the market. Um, and then if the market takes a big drop, you can triple that, you know, monthly investment, mm. get a bigger chunk of it back in the market while it's down. Unfortunately, fear tends to creep back in, though, when markets drop. So you you may have trouble buying in with more if markets drop. So in that case, you just want to stick to your schedule. Yeah, and that's really, you know, time in the market is is better than timing the market is is a saying. So, you know, yeah, that's that's a good point. Another saying um, that you've maybe heard or said is, I've been in the market last year and I can continue to do that. And when people communicate to us that they have outperformed the market, um, it's certainly it's certainly believable, and then and maybe they have done it over a select period of time, um, but you know it, we can strongly suspect um, that they're not looking at an entire market cycle with all of their investments. The math of investing can be very difficult, uh, and after cost, most people fail to beat the market averages or indexes, and that's that's even with professional money managers. We see right. that the data shows that it's hard to outperform these indexes. In fact, there's a study done by um, Dalbar Associates, which shows that the average stock mutual fund investor has lagged the market by 3.9% over the past 20 years through 2022. Um, and that's, that's taking full stock market risk. And so that these are, again, professional money managers who, who this is what they do have underperformed the markets. Um, so, you know, trying to think that you can beat the markets, it, it can, it can be difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yes, you might've beaten the market, you know, last year since tech stocks did so well. So maybe you beat the S and P 500, but don't forget, I mean, 2022, you know, when the NASDAQ dropped 33%. So if you followed that market, if you were invested in tech stocks and you're, you know, feeling good about how well you did last year, remember that you needed to make 50% return 
just to break even. If mm. you were if you were down thirty three percent like the Nasdaq, the math means you had to make fifty percent last year to get back to even. Just to break even. Just to break even, and you know that didn't happen for most people. So even if you were in the tech stocks, volatility hurts, and it means that you need a higher return to average a decent return overall if you have a lot of volatility. Um, volatility also hurts your returns when you're taking out money because it means your dollar cost averaging in reverse. Mm. You have to liquidate more shares when your investments are down if you're taking money out. So yes, you might get lucky. You might you might beat the market a few years, but it's very hard to do that over time without a specific strategy and discipline to combat the volatility. Therefore, you know, it's highly unlikely you're going to beat the market trading stocks over five years, let alone over a lifetime investing. So, you know, how can people, you know, claim they've beaten the market? Well, I mean, often they, you know, focus on investments that they're, that they're proud of that did really well. And they kind of forget the ones that were, that were terrible, mm. you know, that didn't do so well. And then they compare their investments to the performance of some vague recollection of how, you know, the broad market performed. So our advice is to stick to a well-diversified portfolio, lower your volatility, you know, match the market in returns, um, but don't attempt trying to beat the market by timing or picking stocks. Mm. Yeah, that's good. This next one, um, <clears throat> the quote would be, my retirement account has doubled over the past three years. Um, and yes, that sounds impressive, but how much of the growth was because of investment gains? Um, compared to new contributions, um, to try not, to find out your true performance, you can check whether the custodian of your 401k or IRA or other account provides your personal rate of return. Uh, and this will tell you how your investment uh, has performed um, without the contributions being included in those earnings, which is very important when you do look at returns because you should sure. not include um, you know contributions or distributions when you're looking at your rate of return on your investments because that's it's not a re, it's not a return on your investments it's simply an action that you've taken to reduce or increase the you know the principal in the account yeah that's right <clears throat> that's right so in your 401k you might compare your performance to the results of the target date funds in your 401k um, that has a mix similar to your own um, and you know those target date funds tend to be pretty well diversified and they're geared toward folks who expect to retire around a specific year. Um, as the name implies. But, you know, if you're not beating the target date fund, then <clears throat> you might should ditch your current mix and instead buy a target date fund or create a more diversified allocation and not load up too much on one asset class. So, I mean, if applicable, you know, stop trying to time the market or change your investments too much in your plan. And if you have an advisor, ask your advisor for a recommended allocation in your retirement plan to give you the right diversification and to give you the best chance to reach your goal long-term in that plan if you haven't already done that. Okay, and so the last one here, <clears throat> the last uh, sort of misconception or lie that people tell themselves is, you know, this rally won't last much longer. Um, that's a common feeling. You know, after a few years of markets going up and down and now up again, um, you know, as we've had the last few years, some investors are extrapolating the market's last couple bear markets and assuming that stocks are, are about to plunge again. Um, it's easy to lose perspective and to think that markets are a zero-sum game and they are always going to go back down. 
Well, the truth is markets make new highs most years, and they have an average return of around 10% per year going back for 100 years for large U.S. stocks. So you have to forget recent history. You have to focus on the long term. You know, if earnings are, are going up, um, then markets can continue to go up without getting more expensive. Um, you know, the valuations could stay the same. Markets can continue to mm. rise. And that's what that's what markets do over history, over long periods of time. So trust the process and your diversified strategy. Resist the urge to time the market. And don't worry about what the markets are going to do over the next six months. Think long-term, you know, for your long-term goals. Yeah, that's good. There you go. So that's the moral of that story. And that leads us up here to our next thing. And that is the question of the week. And this is a good question. And Steve, I'll ask this to you. This is from a client situation. How do I create good boundaries with my adult child who's able to, to be independent um, but he does look to mom and dad for support each month. What What are some thoughts around that? Wow, that's a deep question here for <laughs> <laughs> for any week. But yes. uh, uh, yeah, I mean that's a tough situation. You have adult child um, that still needs some support or wants some support. Um, you know, so how do you create some boundaries around that? Well, I mean, <clears throat> so I mean, I think you have to encourage them. I mean, everybody wants to help their children, right? I mean, we'll stop at nothing to help our children. That's just human nature. Um, having said that, you also can't enable them to, you know, not pursue their future, you mm. know, not to improve themselves. So if they're living at home, I think they should be working somewhere. I mean, even if they have to start at, you know, Chick-fil-A and work themselves up into their career that maybe they got a uh, degree in, right. um, they got to start somewhere. So they need to get out of the house and be working somewhere, even if it's driving Uber. And then paying a little bit of rent, you know, mm -hmm. paying some rent, you know, contributing to the food, uh, you know, to, to they can they can realize that, you know, life is not free and you do have to contribute and uh, and then have a plan. I think having a goal of, you know, within six months or a year, you're going to have, you know, you're going to keep applying. You're going to find a job in your field that makes more. You're going to uh, then move out and, move, mm -hmm. you know, get an apartment maybe get a friend that you move in with, you know, find a, 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 you know, a roommate that you can share the expenses with, but have a plan for moving out, for being totally independent, for paying their own cell phone bill, for, yeah, you know, right. for paying their own gas, their own insurance, and you have to wean them off of it. And I think they have to, you have to both have a serious sit down, have a plan. You can do that with compassion and love mm -hmm. and still, you know, help enable them to get to a place and they're going to be happier. Everybody's going to be happier because right. it's just not healthy to have a 30 year old or even a 28 year old, you know, living in your, um, and maybe even 25. It just depends on the person the situation, you know? right? But living right. at home and, and not really contributing to, to the, um, to the situation in their own future. Yeah. I think that's, that's why is having a plan and also communicating that, like you said, so everyone's right. on the same page of, Hey, these are the expectations in this household. And, and even these are the expectations to take next steps that are healthy uh, for everyone involved. So yeah, yeah good question. That, and good, yeah, good it's a great question of the week. So, all right. And that leads us up here to our next topic. And that is the four paths to a Roth IRA for high income earners. Yeah, so Steve, a lot of people ask if they should contribute to a Roth account or a pre-tax account. And both can be good uh, good ways to save for retirement. And so it depends on a number of factors. Um, but if your income is outside the income limit for a Roth, uh, what do you do? 
Um, and so again, even if your your income is above that, there's uh, there's four ways that that this article and, and we would agree with uh, gives to contribute to the coveted Roth account. Uh, the Roth IRA has become very popular among retirement accounts, um, and and it's it's funded with after tax dollars. Uh, then these after tax dollars grow tax free, um, and then if you pull them out in retirement, there's some other exceptions, but generally retirement. Um, the contributions and earnings in retirement uh, will be tax-free as well. Um, and so, you know, very good accounts. In 2023, um, your income, though, had to be under 153000 for single or 228000 for married uh, for a Roth IRA. And in uh, 2024, um, that amount has increased. Um, but, you know, still the question is, what do you do if you're over that? amount for a Roth IRA? What do you, you know, how do we get money into a Roth account? Yeah, that's, that's the question. That's exactly right. And as you mentioned, I mean, income limits have increased for 2024, which means for most people, you're under these limits. So, you know, don't assume that you're over these limits without knowing the limit. Um, For a single person, the limit's $161,000. For a married couple, it's $240,000. So that's a pretty high limit that you can still contribute to a Roth um, and so, uh, and the increase, the limit for how much you can increase is increase has gone up as well to $7,000 if you're under 50, 8,000 if you're over 50. Um, so, you know, that's pretty generous and, and you can, for most people, they can get money into a Roth, um, without having to worry about the backdoor Roth and some of the things we're going to talk about here. Um, right. But for high-income earners, there are some ways to get money into a Roth, even if you're over those limits. So let's take a look at some of those strategies. Yeah, and the first one would be a Roth 401k. So if your employer offers this option, which has no income limits, <clears throat> you can set aside up to $23,000. It's over 30000 if you're over fifty, um, into a Roth 401k, again, if they offer that. Unlike Roth IRAs, uh, Roth 401ks... Um, did require RMDs, um, but in 2024, because of the Secure Act 2.0, there will not be RMDs uh, for Roth 401ks. Um, so that's a really good account. You know, again, if you are employed and your employer offers a Roth 401k and you want money into a Roth account and your income's over that, very easy way to get money into a Roth. Absolutely. Yeah. The 401k, you can't ignore that. That's the way you can get the most money in quickly is through your 401k. Another option, though, is a Roth conversion. I mean, for those of you that have savings in an IRA, a tax-deferred account like an IRA or or pre-tax 401k, you can convert some of that balance to a Roth IRA and pay the ordinary income tax on the converted amount. Um, As a result, you might choose to spread out your conversion over several years to better manage the tax bill associated with that. Um, but you can convert some money every year, spread it out, and um, and you can get that money in a Roth just by paying tax on it. It's the same thing as making a Roth contribution. Mm-hmm. You're just doing it later through a conversion, mm-hmm. and you're you're they're taking back that tax deduction you got on the front end because you have to pay the tax now. So um, that's a good way of doing it. If you get money, even if you can put pre-tax money in your 401k. When you change jobs and you can roll that over to an IRA, then you can convert it. So you have your entire lifetime to convert that money back into a Roth IRA. Mm. Um, And you do have to be aware that um, 
when you're doing a conversion, the uh, the earnings have to stay in that in that Roth IRA for five years. You cannot pull out the earnings for five years mm. or age fifty nine and a half. However, without a without a, a penalty, ten percent right. penalty. However, you can always have access to the contributions that you that you put in that. Well, actually, the convert for a conversion, it's five years for that as well. It's five years for everything, unless you yeah. unless there's an exemption like you're mentioning, um, right? For that, yep. Right. So just be aware of the five year rule. Yep. But doing a conversion is a great way to get some money in a Roth. Yeah, very good way. And we we have clients doing conversions um, with their with their IRAs. Another way, this third way is uh, is a backdoor Roth. If you earn too much money and you make a deductible uh, contribution to a traditional IRA, uh, you can still make after tax contributions up to the annual limit and then convert those to a Roth. Um, there are some pro rata rules that are applied. Uh, this is a more complicated way to get money into a Roth, and we typically encourage clients simply to do a Roth conversion. Because um, again, it's just much easier to do um, from a from a client standpoint. But under certain circumstances, uh, where there's a where there's no pre tax IRA available to convert, it could be an option that can be explored. But anyways, just to throw that out there, that is a way to get money into a Roth. Yeah, IRA. it's a lot of work for you know a relatively small amount of money, but yeah, it's it definitely can get money in there. So yeah. um, so that's a way. And then the last one, I really love this way, Matthew, because it allows you to just dump a ton of money in. If you're a high income earner and you work for a large employer that has a plan or an employer that has a, a large employee plan, a lot of those plans will allow you to do something called a mega backdoor Roth conversion mm. um, is basically what we call it. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> kind of in the industry. Yep. So we call it a mega backdoor, you know, backdoor contribution. Um and so what it is, is you, you have your 401k plan at work and you're maxing that out, right? You're putting in your, your 30,000 a year, basically that you can put in, I guess today, um, has that gone up? Yeah. 30,500 30, for over 50. There yep. you go. 30,500. Yep. You're maxing that out. Right. And so, um, but what an, a large employer plan will often allow you to do is they'll allow you to top out that plan to a limit that we call the 415 limit. It's mm. it's the tax code that allows for that. And it's $69,000, including your employer match, your contributions, everything. You can top that out to $69,000 or $76,500 if you're over 50. Wow. Um, so that's a ton of money, right? So if you're putting in $30,500, employers matching you maybe another $9,500 maybe, um, so maybe you're at forty thousand. It's another another twenty nine thousand dollars you could dump in. Now this money has to go after tax. Okay. Okay. So it's after tax. There's it's a separate no, separate bucket. Separate than bucket. The Roth. Yeah. There's no deduction for that. Okay. Right. Goes in after tax. But then your employer has to let you roll that after tax out anytime you want. You can roll it out and convert it to Roth. To a Roth IRA. To a Roth IRA. So just like that, you can put in after-tax money. You can turn right around. You can you can roll it out and convert it to a Roth IRA, and bam, you get twenty nine thousand, or even uh, thirty six thousand, or some huge number right. like that in a Roth every single year. So you can really dump a lot of money if you're a high income earner and you have a big employer plan. Look into that because that is a beautiful way to get a lot of money in a Roth very quickly. 
And you just yeah. can't lose by doing that. Yeah, and just one note on that. You want to make sure you do convert it to a Roth IRA. You don't want to leave after-tax money in a 401k. Correct. Because the earnings in the after-tax portion will be taxed uh, as normal income when you take it out. Um, compared to if you put it into a Roth IRA, obviously there's no taxes anywhere. So, you, you know, if you do that, you do want to pull it out every year and yeah. put it in the Roth. After any, that goes for any after-tax any, yep, money good point. in your 401k. Go ahead, convert it to a Roth so that all the future growth and earnings tax will free. be tax-free inside that Roth. Yep. That's an excellent point. Yep. So, so, yeah, that's a good one. All right. Love it. All right. And that leads us up here to our last item. That is the prescription of the week. Yeah. And this is interesting. If you're more free-spirited, which I just got married, Steve, uh, about three months ago, and uh, my wife is uh, very free-spirited compared to me. Um, and so she would love this. So if you're free-spirited and you want to take a fun, exciting trip, but you want it to be cheaper, you can go on to Google Flights Explorer and type in the date range of when you want to leave and in, in even a general area, and it will populate the cheapest flights at random times, or you can do different times and it'll give you random places. You can mess with the variables, but you can have flights as cheap as uh, 40 or $50 wow. um, because it's not a popular time to travel or it's yeah. not a popular place at this specific time. And, and it's a fun way to, you know, to travel and to see different places. So again, you have to be a little more free spirited for that, but yeah, uh, fun, fun, exciting, cheaper way to travel. If you, if you have that itch to travel. Yeah. I love that idea. I did that when <laughs> I was younger. I mean, you know, for being spontaneous, you can go out yep. of season, Yeah, you, that's get, right. you get a super cheap hotel, Yep. I mean, you put it all together, you can go to some fantastic places on the cheap. That's I right. Mean, that's right. So, so that's a great way to, you know, explore and see if you want to maybe spend more money later and come in season, you yep. know? But, so Google Flights Explore is the way to do that. I like it. Great yep. prescription of the week. All right. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your week. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment tax or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. All hosts are representatives of Richard Young Associates and Registered Investment Advisor. 